Hey, it's Scott Petrick with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. The offseason off is really heating up. I was at the scouting combine last week in Indianapolis, where Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski, and Captain Rach talked, along with a ton of draft prospects. And free agency starts next week, which will be critical for the Browns. Here to discuss, as always, is Dave Chodowski of Go, the WKYC Morning News. How's it going, Chud? Scott, I'm doing well. Busy with uh, kids' sports and uh, all the things that go with the daily grind. But, but <laughs> speaking of that grind, you know, even though the season is over and it's the offseason, we know all too well. There's, I mean, just looking at everything going on with the Browns the last two weeks, because it's been a couple weeks since we talked, yeah. there's so much to talk, talk about. It's insane. It, it is, Chud. And that's, you know what, that's the way of the NFL. Um, and, and even more so. Nowadays, right? Every year, there's more and more in the offseason. And then from a calendar perspective, the later the Super Bowl, right? The 17th week added to the regular season, or the 17th game added to the regular season, pushes the Super Bowl closer to Valentine's Day. And then the combine hasn't moved and free agency hasn't moved. So it's like there's a week taken out of the offseason and, and everything's on top of each other. And I, and I think fans probably appreciate that. Uh, but it does feel like there's not really any downtime. Yeah, good point. But listen, you know, of course we want to hear all of the great things you learned in Indianapolis, but what we really care about is, did you get some good dinners? Did you get some good uh, nightlife? <laughs> I did. Um, yeah, I ate pretty well, uh, which is not a surprise to anybody. And then the nightlife, it feels like it's part of the job. I mean, and I'm not – complaining and I like to have beers as much as the next guy so I would do it regardless but that's just part of the combine is you go out to bars and you hope restaurants slash bars and you hope to run into NFL people whether it's you know scouts and coaches on the team you cover former couches coaches and former scouts from the Browns um and the reality is there's a lot of those guys running around um you know I ran into two former Browns defensive coordinators, a former scout. Um, you know, I ran. I saw Josh McCown, who's now a quarterback coach uh, with the Panthers, right? He used to play for the Browns. Uh, he was talking to Dave Ragone, who went to San Ignatius like I did. Uh, obviously, he's younger than me, and he's a quarterback coach. I think it's with the Falcons now. So you just see a bunch of guys, um, and it can lead to, you know, it's always interesting conversation. Sometimes it leads to, you know, good nuggets to have, good information to have as, you know, your approach for agency in the draft. But I feel like Give it's part pe- of the job to be out yeah. till 2 o'clock in the morning every night. Okay, let's reward the people that tune into this podcast religiously and give us something that maybe you're not – I don't know. Give us something, like just something that you don't have to tell us who told you. Yeah. I mean, can you do that, Scott? Can you give us something to sink our teeth into? Yeah, I'll give you something. It's not super Browns related, but I ran into a former Browns player who's out of the league now. And okay, and this just struck with me or stuck with me. Um, we're just talking. We talked for a long time. We were wait- I was waiting on a couple people, and he recognized me. We started talking. Um, and we we're just talking about his career and the end of his career and injuries. And he just said, like, off the cuff, you guys – don't have any idea what we go through. And I said, well, we'd love to know. And he's like, yeah, but we can't tell you. And his point was, guys won't be on the injury report. 
yet they're dealing with significant injuries that affect their play. He said he got hurt one or he had a knee injury, and in week two, a doctor told him to have surgery. He said no, and he played for the next 13 weeks before he had to shut it down. He said he wasn't on the injury report, but he was getting, you know, injections into the knee, and he kept playing for 13 weeks. And, you know, we obviously know you're on the team. You see guys banged up. Um, you know that guys get the pain-killing shots, right? But I don't think we appreciate is maybe a media, and I would assume as a fan base, um, the real toll that these guys go through and it takes on their bodies. I mean, he retired, and he's not even 30. And he said he would need – he thought he would need two knee and a hip replacement, Right. So it it just kind of really, I don't know, it drove home a point for me, um, just what these guys put their bodies through. No, you know, it's, and we've, we've talked about that before and you're right. We don't know exactly what they go through, but I, I've, I've seen and witnessed enough at some of these players after their careers. And, and I've thought to myself, man, you know, as much money as and fame as they have, I just don't know if it's worth it. And I, uh, this is kind of a, uh, I don't even know if I want to admit this, but I've, I've been watching. I've been watching some biographies on uh, A and E on my app of uh, some former professional wrestlers. Uh, and I, I, Scott, I was into professional wrestling back in Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, and then uh, I, I, I got into it again with Stone Cold and The Rock. I mean, I, it was a guilty pleasure. I don't watch it anymore. I don't have the time, but I was big into it. And some of these biographies, man, of what these guys went through, and I know it's made up and it's scripted but what they went through it took a toll on their bodies and you know these wrestlers that they, they die at such a young age and what they've gone through and I'm kind of I guess I'm backing up your point to, to us common folk don't really know what what these people go through and and what what goes on in their what happens to their bodies yeah for sure and it's you know part of its toughness right there's a pain tolerance and there's a toughness and um mentally and physically uh, I talked to a, a bronze player this year, and I said, man, I don't know how you guys do it. He was playing through an injury, right? And he goes, you know, he goes, well, you know, he goes, I took a shot. And, you know, like, it, and it's just so off the cuff and so matter of fact that sometimes I even forget it. You know, like, yeah, that that's what is required to do this, to play this game. Um, so, you know, there's a bunch of other bronze nuggets, but that one, I felt comfortable yeah. sharing, and and I thought it was interesting and important. Did did you learn anything in your time there about what you think they're going to do in free agency in the draft? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, they're going to be flexible, and this is nothing I learned privately, right? But when you talk to Andrew Barry, I, I think it is important because he always stresses that we're going to be flexible. He talks about yes, there's philosophies, but they're not locked into these, right? Like, we all know that they prefer to trade down and add extra draft picks. Yet, they showed a willingness to move up um, to draft Jeremiah Rusikoromoa a couple of years ago, right? And then they showed the willingness to trade away a bunch of draft picks to get Deshaun Watson. So they're not married to draft picks. So they show flexibility there. Um, the, the reason I'm saying this is because Free agency will shape how they approach the draft, right? And we know that. And I think Andrew Barry remains flexible enough and the rest of his staff and, you know, Paul B. Podesta that let's say plan A is 
to go get Javon Hargrave, the defensive tackle. That's plan A of free agency. Well, if that doesn't work, right, somebody else offers him more money, he picks another team, then plan B could be, okay, go get a defensive tackle at number 42, right? Like, so you have to have those contingency plans. And just talking to Andrew Barry, I think I think some people would dismiss that. And I don't. I do think they have a bunch of different plans, and we have to see how things go. You have to see who gets cut, you know, by other teams, either before or at the start of free agency, right? That frees up guys. We've seen it with, you know, the Vikings are cutting Kendricks, the linebacker, okay? Now does he show up on the Browns' radar? And does that affect how they're going to approach free agency in the draft, right? There's just a million um, variables that can happen. But I come away from, and I went into this too, but now I come away from the combine going, the Browns' priorities are defensive tackle, defensive end, wide receiver, and safety. And I think that's the order. Um, I also think that depends on who's available, right? If you have a stud defensive end that you really love, more than the D tackle you love, maybe you shift those priorities. But those are clearly the biggest needs. They created the needed safety by deciding to cut John Johnson the third and save um, the salary and save the salary cap space. Um, so yeah, you know, it, so that's my kind of big picture view of how the Browns approach for agency in the draft. I think they're going to be aggressive. Andrew Barry made it abundantly clear that just because they're above the salary cap right now, that it won't be hard for them to get under the salary cap and create enough space to make significant moves. And that's as easy as turning Deshaun Watson's salary into bonus money. And all of a sudden that creates a bunch of salary cap space. So, you know, free agency starts next week. And Monday at noon begins the legal negotiating period. And... I expect the Browns to be active early, and I expect to have news Monday of a guy that they reached an agreement with. I don't know if that will be Javon Hargrave, the defensive tackle. Um, you know, it could be another defensive end. It could be a safety. You know, Jesse Bates' name is out there. I don't know if the Browns would cut John Johnson and then sign Bates for more money. Um, maybe they love him that much, and they will do that. Um, we can talk about how you fill that position otherwise, but I expect a big move one or two big moves to be made early in free agency, then complementary moves as free agency continues, and then you shift to the draft and say, okay, what needs are left to be filled, and then how do you approach the draft? Do you keep number 42? Do you trade up? Do you trade down? Um, all those different scenarios. A lot of ways I want to go here, but quickly, let's put this one to bed. Your thoughts on the John Johnson news? Yeah, not surprising, right? Um Hadn't lived up to that contract. You know, it's three years, $39 million, I want to say. Um, just hadn't played at that level. Hadn't really approached Pro Bowl level. Um, had some takeaways. I don't think the number you envision when you go make a guy your number one priority in free agency. Um, you know, had an impact. Was good in the locker room. Um, was good to talk to from a media perspective. Questioned commitment this year. Um, tried to take on a leadership role. I just don't think he lived up to that contract. And I think you can replace him, maybe replace him with a guy like Jesse Bates. Or I, I to me, it feels like a spot where you can save money, right? Which either that's through a second or third tier free agent or through the draft. You know, could you draft a guy in the third round and say, hey, you're our starting safety 
um, that doesn't seem outlandish to me. And while we can talk about the real or fakeness of the salary cap, the reality is if you're paying your quarterback $46 million a year, you can't spend big everywhere. So you have to save money at certain spots. And I think safety is going to be – could be one of those spots. You know, backup running back, backup quarterback. You know, when you go down the roster, I think you have to find those spots. It'll be interesting to see if the Browns reinvest a lot of money in safety or go cheaper. And my thought is they could afford to go cheaper there, but maybe Jim Schwartz disagrees, the new defensive coordinator, and says, you know, no, we need – we really need a big-time – Sideline to sideline, deep pre-safety, and then the Browns go spend that money. Um, the last thought on Johnson is, you know, it's two years in a row where they cut a guy who is still under contract to save money in salary cap space that was a prime target in free agency, right? Last year it was Austin Hooper, who was a big flop in his couple of years with the Browns. I think a bigger flop than John Johnson was. Um, and that's just not a good look for the front office. Yes, you miss. I understand why they signed those guys, but they needed to be better and they need to do better, especially when you are constrained by the salary cap, given the Watson contract and other big contracts the Browns are, you know, owe people. Can you explain, though, how they rework the Watson part of the contract to, to get under the salary cap? I mean, it's a lot of money that, that they're giving this guy. How, how does that work exactly? Yeah, they're... I'm not an expert on this, but there's a couple different ways you can create salary cap space. You can add years at the back end and make them voidable years. So then you stretch out um, the bonus money. And so you can do that. Now that kicks the can down the road, right? Um, and eventually, you know, if you're going to have a big salary cap hit when the guy's not on your team anymore. And we've seen that with guys retiring, like Tom Brady's got, he's going to have a huge, Salary cap hit in Tampa Bay. Um, or if there's a way to just take the salary, that like, let's say Deshaun Watson's due $46 million in salary this year. If you just convert that into a bonus and spread it out over the remaining years of the contract without adding years at the end, then you can do that and you don't even have to ask – you don't even have to have Watson participate. The, the team can just do it, um, and therefore it creates – more cap space. So, you know, I'm just throwing out broad numbers there. If it's 48 million, let's say, and you convert that to a signing bonus and his salary is 1 million, whatever. So there's 45 million. He's signed for three more years. Um, the 45 million gets spread out over those three years and you save like $30 million in cap space. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm being really generic here and really broad, but that's how it, those are the two ways to do it. Um, the second way I mentioned, just keeping it within the already agreed to, and that Watson has four more years, so it would be three years after 2023. Um, if you keep it to that parameter, then you don't have to renegotiate the contract at Watson. It's just a bookkeeping measure, um, and it keeps it contained within his years. And it doesn't free up quite as much space. Like you could add 10 years down the road or however many years down the road you could, you're allowed to add, and that just keeps – extending how long the bonus is paid out over. Going back to the combine, Andrew Barry and Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski both spoke. What You mentioned a couple things already, but what are some of the headlines you took out of there and, and your opinion on it? Yeah, it, there's a lot of stuff to go through, but my, my biggest takeaways were from Andrew Barry, 
and again, this isn't a big surprise, but I wanted to hear him say it. Talk about the sense of urgency, given the fact <laughs> that the Browns have missed the playoffs the last two years, right? Given the fact that it feels like their jobs are, you know, on the line, you know, that might be a little strong. Um, but, you know, if the Browns have a terrible year in 2023, I don't think it would surprise anybody if the Haslam's clean house, right? Yeah. So, it, so it's an important year. And, you know, Barry said every year there's a sense of urgency. But I, I feel like he admits that, yes, the clock is ticking. The, and the reason I say that, he talks about having the roster where they feel like they can compete now. They like – and they did last year too, but you had the Watson suspension that just threw a wrench in everything. So what you have now is a core that they really like. And it's Watson and it's Miles Garrett and it's – Denzel Ward and it's Nick Chubb and it's Joe Batonio and Amari Cooper and Wyatt Teller, right? We all we know that list of guys that they really like. They feel like the window is open, and if you have that window, then you better have a sense of urgency. And I only think the disappointment of the last two years adds to that. And what will be interesting, from my perspective, is how Barry in the front office approach free agency in the draft. Because there's always been there's always these two tracks as a general manager. You have the short term, right? We want to win this year. And the long term, which is, well, we also want to be viable three years from now, right? It can't just be all in for one season. You have to have a dual approach. And I think Barry's been really consistent about trying to maintain those parallel tracks. And whether it's drafting young guys, you know, keeping draft picks on the roster and giving them time to develop, right? They draft a lot of when I say draft young guys, just from an age perspective, they tend they they skew younger because they believe in that. But they believe the development is curve is bigger. Um, when you sign guys to a second contract, they're just entering their prime, kind of like David Njoku. But there's also more development that needs to take place, right? There's less experience. The guys are less mature. So will he will the Browns all of a sudden this year? you know, maybe draft guys slightly older so they can contribute earlier as rookies because this year is so important. Um, you know, do they make big splashes in free agency and kind of really kick that salary cap down the road and where three years from now they might have to make even more um, serious decisions about who to keep and who to cut? And I think all that's on the table given that sense of urgency um, that I've been talking about and just given the – the importance of 2023 to the future of Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski, and the entire organization. Mm-hmm. And then from a Stefanski, when you, when you, you asked about Stefanski real quick, yes, yeah, changing his coaching staff, right? This is the first year where he made significant changes. We talked about Joe Woods before, the, the Mike Prefer fired as special teams coordinator, and there were other moves. And I, I think that plays along that line too. Like, okay, there's two years in a row without making the playoffs. Something has to change. And Stefanski realized that, and I think he went a little bit out of character. I think his character is loyalty and stability, and he thought that wasn't going to work anymore. Yeah, because, I mean, he has a relationship with Prefer, and uh, or as he calls him, uh, Pref, right? Right, right. Uh, I love the nicknames, right? Uh, uh, AVP, right? (laughs) Pref, all the the nicknames. but, uh, yeah, you're right, and I'm glad you just brought that up because that was going to be uh, my next topic with you is 
since the last time we talked, we knew about uh, Schwartz. We discussed that, but I don't think we've discussed Ventrone yet, and, and also uh, Musgrave coming in, right? So, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting, especially the timing of it, right? I mean, Joe mm-hmm. Woods, was, Joe Woods was fired hours yeah. after the season finale in Pittsburgh, and then obviously this took way longer, right? Almost a month longer, and. Stefanski wouldn't answer when he's asked specifically about it, but there's no, to me, there's no way to read it other than they thought Bubba Ventrone was an upgrade to Mike Kiefer, and if Ventrone wasn't available, maybe Mike Kiefer returns. And I, I, you know, part of me says, well, that's just reality, right? The Browns do the same thing with players all the time. You know, if, yeah. if they didn't think there was an alternative, a better alternative than John Johnson, they might keep John Johnson, right? Um, and you can you go down the line. I mean, Baker Mayfield, Deshaun Watson is a perfect example, right? They they thought they could upgrade, so they upgraded. Um, but I think it's interesting because you don't necessarily see that a lot from a coaching staff perspective. Yeah, you may change it. Like to Joe Woods, to Jim Schwartz, the Browns thought they could upgrade from Joe Woods with number of guys, right? They interviewed Brian Flores. Um, they interviewed Sean Desai, other guys. Um, but the 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 prefer to Ventrone feels like that they were okay. We can live with Mike prefer for another year, but this guy becomes available, right? The Colts don't hire him to be their head coach. He interviewed for it. They drag out their coaching search. And then all of a sudden Ventrone's available. They offer him, they add the assistant head coaching title so they can get him away from the Colts and they get it done. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of money too, but I, I just find that aspect of it really interesting is that, you know, I think Stefanski would have – you could rationalize keeping Mike Kiefer. Um, yet, he decided not to because he thought that Ventrone would make a significant difference. Bill Musgrave. Yeah, yeah. They had Bill Musgrave as senior offensive assistant. Um, he's going to kind of have his fingers in a lot of areas on offense. It's not going to be – he's not going to be in the quarterback room every day which is interesting because he's a former quarterback. He's been a quarterback's coach. He's been a coordinator. Um, but they. it sounds like Kevin Stefanski wants to keep that quarterback room kind of tight. It's going to be – Stefanski's in all the meetings. At, uh, AVP, Alex Van Pelt, the coordinator, is going to be the de facto quarterback's coach like he was um, for Baker's first couple of years. Um, actually, all three of Baker's years, right? Yeah. Um, well, 19 20, – 2021. Um, last year, Drew Petzing was the quarterback's coach, and then he took a coordinator job with um, the Cardinals. But so it's going to be Stefanski, AVP, and then Ashton Grant will be the assistant quarterback's coach. Um, but they like that. They Kevin Stefanski feels that AVP and Watson developed a relationship last year. Um, there's good chemistry there. They're really going to listen to you know how Watson wants to operate. You know, Stefanski had those talks with him in those exit meetings. Um, so that's going to be that tight quarterback room. But then you have Bill Musgrave, and it's just another really experienced voice to that offensive staff. And, you know, I think that's just a smart move from Stefanski. You know, we see him get hired. You see Jim Schwartz, a former head coach, get hired, right? It's all these guys with experience. Bill Callahan has a ton of experience, a former head coach. And I think it is important that Stefanski has never shied away from that, even though he's a young coach who you could feel, I don't know, maybe a little vulnerable or a little, 
threatened, right, by bringing in a bunch of guys with experience. Stefanski's never been that way. Hey, how much is the Watson factor playing with Bill Musgrave? Yeah, I don't think – you know what? My original thought was it was a big one, but listening to Stefanski talk at the Combine, it, it didn't sound like it was. Um, he's not going to be in the daily quarterback meetings. He's going to kind of um, give his opinion on on all the different areas of the offense. So I, I don't think – I don't think that's a huge factor where it could have implications, Dave, is Musgrave has a wide range of offensive philosophies, right? He's coached in a bunch of different systems, including a lot of quarterback runs, right? And I think he worked with Chip Kelly. Um, they had a lot, I think they had a lot of quarterback runs in at the University of California where Musgrave just came from. So we're going to see more of that with Watson. So I think that element helps from a schematic standpoint. I just don't think Musgrave is going to be really hands-on with Watson himself, but he will have an influence on the, the evolution of this offensive system. Is the AVP, and I'm not saying they're doing this because of this, but they're kind of window dressing, selling the Baker, you know, hey, he helped Baker right. uh, have that success. Or, you know, I, it, it's just – you know, the whole thing with being an offensive coordinator and not calling plays, now you're going to, you know, say, hey, he's going to be the QB coach. Um, you know, I is it is it more just to try to appease fans or does do they not worry about that? Yeah, I don't think that's – I don't think that's the big motivator. Um, I, I think it comes down to – so they lose Drew Petzing, you know, to be the offensive coordinator under Jonathan Gannon another former Ignatius guy that gets the Cardinals job. Um, and the question is, okay, do you bring in another quarterbacks coach? And the decision was no. And I think a lot of that was you don't want Watson starting over with somebody else. Um, he already has a relationship with AVP. Stefanski's heavily involved in the quarterback room as it is that they just like it. They, they just like that dynamic right now. So, um, you know, it's easy, you have to point back to Baker because Van Pelt was in that quarter, the quarterback's coach role with Baker Mayfield, even though he didn't have that title. So it's relevant. Um, but, I, but I don't feel like it's, hey, this is why we're doing it. I just think that's an example of when they did it that way. Scott, let's talk about Deshaun a little bit more and – I hate myself for having to ask this, but we wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't. But and we know that Cleveland Talk Sports Radio loves talking Browns nonstop. But and and I heard you on the radio the other day, and you got this question. But this is just something that just is going to be so nauseating and tiresome <laughs> for the next few months is to hear this question. Unfortunately, I have to ask it, but it's all we're going to hear when it comes to Watson for the next few months. And can he get back to the elite status? I mean. And I think the person posed to you, and, and good job on the radio, by the way, the other day. Yeah, uh, yeah but I, I think it was posed to you as uh, something along the lines of um, concern over the the last, you know, the, yeah. his performance there at the end of the year, or uh, you know, is it just rust or concern? I believe was was how it was presented to you. So I, that's kind of how I'm going to present it to you there. And, and you know, do you agree with me that this is going to be a big talker, or oh. am I wrong? No, it's going to be a huge talker, Chud. I mean, I, I think the fact is 
the Browns cannot – I don't want this to sound too basic. If Watson doesn't play great, the Browns are in deep trouble, right? And you can say that about a bunch of quarterbacks, um, but I think it's even more relevant with Watson. And a lot of that goes back to the contract, right, because it limits what you can do across the roster. Um, so if you're paying a guy $46 million a year, he better play like a $46 million a year quarterback. And – you're going to see that across the league, right? Daniel Jones just agreed to a big extension with the Giants. Now, his salary cap number won't be big in 2023, so that's not going to limit the Giants. But at some point, it will. And then your quarterback's got to play great. And, you know, the Ravens are getting there with Lamar Jackson, and I don't know if I'll have time to talk about that, but that's an interesting situation. It's It comes down to if you're going to pay your quarterback the kind of money that Watson's getting paid, he's got to compete at that level of Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and the rest of the guys making that kind of money. And if he doesn't, your team's always going to fall short. That's just the way it's going to be. So, yeah, it's incredibly important to talk about Watson. That's the number one question heading into 2023 season is will Watson play like the guy he was in Houston? And that's so much more important than do they find a D-tackle or two D-tackles, right? And we're going to spend all time talking about that because – that's the holes, and we saw how bad the D-tackles were last year. But they could have the two best D-tackles in the world. And if Watson doesn't play at an elite level, I don't think it matters. And it especially won't matter when you get to the playoffs and you face Josh Allen. I forgot him earlier, right, when I was listening to quarterbacks. When you play Josh Allen, who's already getting a ton of money. When you play Joe Burrow, who's going to get a ton of money, right, Justin Herbert. All those guys, right, all the elite quarterbacks, Watson has to play at that level. So to get back to your question, I think it was rust. My my instincts say rust because I've I think he still has that elite skill set, in my opinion. He still runs it great. I think he still throws it great. Um, you know, he was a really good decision maker in Houston, and we didn't see that last year. And I think you can attribute that to Rust. I think he and Kevin Safansky have alluded to the fact that um the decision-making, the comfort in the pocket might be the last thing to come back. Having said all that, I don't think it's guaranteed that he plays at that level again, right? The Pro Bowl level from Houston, the lead the, the, lead the league in passing yards and yards per attempt and yards per completion like he did in 2020, the last full year he played. I just don't think it's automatic. And I would say that from a, hey, not a lot of quarterbacks take almost two years off. So it's a little bit of an uncharted territory. And then I think part of it is, and we've talked about this before, Chad, and I, I should spend a whole day trying to figure out the best way to phrase this because I still haven't figured it out. But he's been through a lot, right? The off-the-field stuff, all the sexual misconduct, allegations, the, um, the settlements, the suspension. And I hate saying he's been through a lot because he put him through himself in this spot. Right. But that doesn't change the fact that it can take a toll mentally and emotionally. And, you know, does he feel the same way about himself? Does he have the same confidence as a player? Right. Like all those things. Um, can he get back to the same mental place he was in 2020? And I'm not in any position to answer that. I don't know if he's in a position to answer that. 
So well, let me interrupt you real quick and just in, and say that we said all of these things on this podcast back when they put the money down yeah. for him, and we were worried about this. Yeah, I mean that's what made that such a huge risk. All of the the things you just said, no, no doubt, no doubt. But I don't think those I don't think any of those things have been answered, right? And they certainly weren't answered in those six games last year. You saw flashes. Not a ton. I mean, you saw flashes of the skill set. And you saw the second half against Washington where he threw three touchdowns. Other than that, it was really sporadic. And there was a lot of sacks he shouldn't take. There's a lot of missed throws, a couple bad interceptions, right? So I, I don't think any of those – and you're right, Chad. Those were the questions we had when – it's almost a year ago now, right, when the Browns made the move for Watson. Um I, those haven't been answered, so it, it kind of goes back to how you felt then. Well, yeah, he's he's still a young guy. He's 27. Um, he can get back to who he was, and I think he can. I know the Browns expect him to, but I don't know. There's not a guarantee that he will. So I'm blaming a lot of it on Rust, but I don't think you can just assume he's going to be the guy you need him to be, and that's that's a worrisome thing if you're the Browns. Yeah. No, it's a good good answer. I I agree with you. I mean, there's definitely some concern, but uh, you know, the the thing is, we have to wait a we have to wait a while here to see how it's going to play out. Yeah. As far as uh, who's calling the plays, that was another. I don't think there was really a ton that came out of uh, Stefanski's interviews, was there? I, at the no. top of the list, though, was you know him saying that he would still be calling the plays, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's I, I struggled with that one, Chud, because. To me, there was no doubt he was ever to call the place, right? Like, he leaves the door open every once in a while and then right. slams it shut the next time he gets asked about it. So, you know, they didn't have any major changes as coaching staff. Is he all of a sudden going to turn it over to Van Pelt? It's just – like, I never thought it was a possibility. Obviously, you have to you have to talk about it. You have to treat that, yes, he's keeping play calling. But to me, that was always going to be the case. I did think it was kind of interesting the way he phrased it is, it's not about, I don't know if he said it's not about ego, um, but it's about trying to do the right thing for the team. And he really feels that he's the best guy to be calling the plays. And, you know, I'm sure fans would argue with that. Um, I tend to agree with him. I think that's part of the reason he became a head coach is because he has a, quote-unquote, brilliant offensive mind. Um, so I don't think – I don't think the Browns should take it away. I don't think he should give it away. And I don't really think that that – you know, there's that narrative out there that, oh, my gosh, it affects all this other stuff on game day. I don't think it does. Do you want to hit any more on uh, Lamar and the uh, news from yesterday? Well, you know, we, we've gotten we've gotten some uh, NFL news here this week. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it certainly felt like it was headed to franchise tag. Um, the non-exclusive franchise tag means he could sign somewhere else, right? Or he could – reach an agreement with somebody else and then the Ravens decide to match it or they get two first round draft picks. It all is also creates the opportunity for teams to approach the Ravens and trade for Jackson um, maybe with less or even more than the two first round draft picks. Like it just creates a lot of opportunity. What's interesting is that it got to this point, right? And back to Deshaun Watson, part of the reason it got to this point is that he wants it. Feel it reports are 
Lamar Jackson wants the guaranteed money, the fully guaranteed money that Watson got. And the Ravens don't want to give it up. And no team has given, no team has matched that since the Browns gave Watson that contract a year ago. Um, And is it always going to be an outlier? Um, Perhaps, you know, Andrew Barry was asked that and said, he doesn't think it's going to become the way of the world in the NFL. Maybe certain guys match it. Maybe the other owners stand strong and say, well, no, you're not going to get fully guaranteed. Um, it, it, that's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch. But certainly it feels like the Watson contract with the Browns affected the relationship between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson and could lead to a situation where they don't keep their MVP quarterback, former MVP quarterback, which would be mind-boggling, right? Teams don't give up on 26-year-old quarterbacks that are former MVPs with a great winning percentage that are unicorn athletes, um, uh-huh. right? So, so the Watson contract could have and it could have this ripple effect throughout the AFC North, which is fascinating. Um, you know, obviously the Browns thought that was the only way they could get him. That did help them land Watson, and then it could have these other um, repercussions. What's also interesting is. There, all of a sudden, when the franchise tag happened with Jackson, all these reports came that Atlanta's not interested. Um, you know, I think the Raiders. Like, there's a list of teams that need quarterbacks that were pretty quick to say they're not interested. Um, and it just felt fishy. And now if you're on Twitter and NFL Twitter, there's all this talk about collusion and why would these teams say that? And it's interesting because – you can argue who's better, Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson, right? But Deshaun Watson was going through all the off-field stuff a year ago, right? And had all this baggage and was going to divide the fan, a fan base. And yet four teams were willing to trade a bunch for him and then pay him a ton of money. Lamar Jackson doesn't have any of that. And yet teams are in a hurry to say, we're not, you know, we're not interested in Lamar and I just think that's fascinating, and I think there's probably um, some backstory there that's really interesting. Um, it, you know, and, and I, you know, I can't prove collusion, but is it a just the NFL owner saying, "Hey, we're not going to pay a guy fully guaranteed contract, so therefore he's off our table"? You know, he's off our radar. I, I don't know, but there should be a lot of interest for Lamar Jackson. That's the bottom line, and maybe there wind up there will be a lot of interest for him, um, and he'll wind up playing somewhere else. But I know the talent he is with his resume and track record and lack of baggage, it feels like there should be teams lining up to make a run at him, um, especially with the dearth of NFL quarterbacks. When it comes to uh, free agency next week, it it feels like defensive end and and D-line is pretty strong for the draft, right? Is that accurate? Yeah, that 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 is accurate, yep. Okay, so then do you see then next week them going hard at that position? And I know you talked about it yeah. a little bit already, but do you, do you feel that they would go strong at that position, D-line next week in free agency yeah. when they know maybe they can hit it in the draft? Well, I do. I, I think they will go strong at both D-tackle and D-end. I would expect D-tackle to be the number one spot. Now, you know, if you don't get Javon Hargrave, you know, the, who's with the Eagles, you know, there's a, probably a drop-off there. Um, do you still feel like you get the guy you want? Um, it'll be interesting. You know, Deron Payne, 
Um, the commanders put the franchise tag on him, so he's off the market from a free agent standpoint. One less, you know, big ticket guy at that position. Um, but the reason I think the Browns will address both those spots in free agency, Chud, is you you need veterans, right? Like it, it goes back to the urgency thing. You can't wait for your defensive tackles to develop. You need somebody to play really well right now. And the way to do that is free agency or trade. And I want to I want to go back to that trade thing in a minute. Um, right? If you add a quality veteran right now, you at least have one spot. So I would expect one veteran D tackle to be added. Then maybe you turn to the draft for the other spot. Um, and I think the same thing at end. I think you add a veteran complement to Miles Garrett and maybe pair that with a draft pick, kind of like the Browns tried to do last year with Clowney and Alex Wright, which didn't really work out. We know the disaster Clowney was. Alex Wright didn't even have a quarterback hit, so he wasn't ready to contribute the way they wanted him to. Um, but I, I just think you need the proven influx of talent right now. And the other problem with the draft is the Browns don't have a first-round pick. They have eight picks, but they don't have one until 42 and then the next one for them is until like 98. So how many impact guys can you get, right? Like maybe two, you know, can you draft, you you think, okay, you get a starter at 42, you get a starter at 98, but that's it. And you got a bunch of needs like we talked about early. So that's why you have to, I think, be aggressive in free agency and the draft. Now the Browns could move around in the draft. They could trade 42 and turn it into a couple of third round picks, which would fit their, philosophy um I, I just don't think they have enough high picks to say yeah they're going to take care of all their pressing needs in the draft scott we are going to end up ending this on rapid fire because man i got a ton of topics yeah. but i just don't think we can go deep on every single okay. one so before we get to rapid fire anything else on the combine or free agency next week that you want to hit um I do want to, I said, I want to get back to the trade thing. It's not, it's the way they can add veteran talent isn't necessarily all for agency. And all you have to do is look to a year ago and Amari Cooper, right? They traded for Amari Cooper. They found a team that didn't want to pay a veteran guy, a big salary anymore. And they traded a fifth round pick. And if those options become available, I would expect the Browns to pounce just like they did a year ago. I know one of my colleagues, Zach Jackson of The Athletic, um, brought up the idea of DeForest Buckner with the Colts. The Colts are kind of in a transition. Buckner's a big-time defensive tackle, making big-time money. If the Browns could get him cheap in a trade perspective, right, give up a third-day pick, they, they would probably take on that salary um, for a guy like that. So I think you have to keep your eyes open. I know Andrew Bayer will keep his options open. I think we have to keep our eyes open for that type of a move um, because that gets you where you need to go the same as for agency. And I think it opens up more options, whether it's D tackle, D end receiver, um, safety, right? So I, I think you need to keep an eye on that. Um, you know, there's guys that stood out at the combine to me, Chad, just from talking to them, but we have a while before the draft. So we can get into that. And when we do that, we can also talk about just the flexibility that I think they will have on defense. Um, with Jim Schwartz, right? We think of Jim Schwartz is, you know, yes, he needs it. He will. He's going to have a strong defensive line. We've seen that. But can he do it with an undersized D tackle, 
you know, like um, like Kalijah Cansey from Pitt, right? Yeah, I think he can, who ran a great 40 time. Um, can he do it with an undersized defensive end like Nolan Smith out of Georgia? I think he can. So instead of thinking rigid, like, okay, the Browns need a 260-pound defensive end, I think Schwartz, his imagination and his experience will allow the Browns to be creative mm-hmm. in how they approach um, the talent acquisition. Well, for, you know, nerd writers like yourself, the combine's always huge, right? Plus all those great dinners and everything you get. But for uh, the common folk, the combine's not as much fun when you don't have a first-round pick, right? No, there's there's certainly less buzz, right? I, I felt it was <laughs> extremely important to be there. But you just, you know, just, yeah, if you're a team like, you know, the Bears, who have the number one pick and are looking to trade, right? Or the Texans at number two that um, need a quarterback. Or the Colts, that, you know. The Panthers, like teams looking to trade up for quarterbacks, um, yeah, then it's a ton of buzz, right? And even it doesn't have to be quarterbacks. You're right. If you have a pick in the first round, let alone the top 10, top five, that's where the buzz really gets going because not only is it, is it exciting, but you can narrow the focus of players, right? At 42, I mean, it could be like 50 different guys, right? Like, I mean, that's <laughs> right. But you don't know who's going to be gone. You know, who's right. going to be available. Like, like you're just – it's just really tough to narrow down, um, you know, who's going to be there. Who are the possibilities? Hey, before we get to rapid fire, did you want to mention anything about Catherine Raich? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I, I threw her in when I said we talked to Andrew Barry and Kevin Spansky. Yeah, I, I yeah. know you did. Yeah. I mean, that's the first time we've talked to her as a, as a group of reporters. Um, she was hired last May as assistant GM, VP of football operations. So, there's Andrew Barry, and then he has Glenn Cook, who's assistant GM, VP of player personnel, and Catherine Raich, assistant GM, VP of football operations. And they're like number two, right? Which means Catherine Raich is a step away from being a general manager. And she interviewed for the Vikings job, the GM job a year ago. Um, she could be, she wouldn't really be the first female GM. There was a woman in the 80s who was a daughter of the owner in Philadelphia that held the job for a while. But it would still be historic um, if she became a GM. And that's the track she's on. Andrew Barry raves about her. Kevin Spansky raves about her. Um, it was our first time to talk to her. And she had a whirlwind first year with the Browns. She gets hired in May. She's pregnant. Um, she has a baby in the middle of training camp, goes on maternity leave, um, comes back week 10, and now, she, you know, she's full speed into free agency in the draft. Like, she's a huge voice in this organization and in these processes. She was in the Jim Schwartz and the defensive coordinator interviews. Um, really impressive. She's from Canada, from Montreal. She speaks three languages. You can hear the French and the Canadian coming through. Um, it was really impressive. And one of the takeaways from talking to her was just, She's more comfortable now. She's settled in after, you know, having her first baby, new job, new city, um, and finding that balance, right? And, you know, it's weird for me to write about it because, you know, first of all, I'm a man. um, And, you know, like, part of me wants to just treat her as another member of the front office, but she wanted to talk about just finding that balance and how she'd be on these text threads with the Browns and Andrew Barry's like, Hey, you just had a baby. You need to take a step back and finding that ability to do all she needs to do with the job and, you know, raising her first kid. Um, she wanted to talk about that. So I think it's an interesting topic um, 
And, you know, she's an important voice in this organization. All right. Good information. All right. Now I'm ready to get to rapid fire unless you have anything else uh, on the combine or free agency. I think I'm going checking my list, Chad, and I think, um, I think we hit what we wanted, what I wanted to hit. All right. Excellent. Now on this rapid fire, I'm going to have to keep you honest because I've been up since 2.30. We're okay. recording this on Wednesday morning and I need to take a nap. Hi, everybody. All right. <laughs> so, all right, here we go. These are six things I wrote down that we haven't touched on yet. So, uh, rapid fire time. And we'll start with uh, Greg Newsom, inside or outside. What's the deal? <laughs> um, yeah, he wants to play outside. I think he's going to have to accept the fact that the team's better off with him inside. Now, maybe they can find a compromise where he follows a receiver and it's not as much time inside. Um, but he doesn't have any leverage. He's going to come back. The Browns are going to play him probably in a combination, and I think he's just going to have to suck it up. Whoa, are you done? Yep, rapid fire. That, that was impressive. Thanks, that, that was 23 seconds. You threw me off. All right. <laughs> I know I'm long-winded. No, that was good. Uh, running backs, are uh, Kareem Hunt and Dearness, are they both gone? And is Jerome Ford really going to be the backup? Mm-hmm. Hunt's gone. Um, you could probably bring Dearness Johnson back relatively cheap. I I would think he tests the market and see, and you know sees if he can find a job, a team out there that's willing to give him maybe a chance to be a starter. Um, if not, he could return. Maybe he could return as a number two. Obviously, he did not play much at all last year because you know Hunt stayed healthy. Um, but, yeah, I think right now I would go odds on Jerome Ford would be the backup. And, again, talk about saving money at spots. Ford's super cheap. Let him be your backup. You can bring in – you can draft another rookie late, right? There's a lot of running backs to be found late in drafts. Or And if that fails, you can always go find a veteran cheap week one. We've seen it across the league. Um, so that's not an area I would be really worried about. All right, I let you go long since yeah, you were short on the first one. Thanks. Hall of Fame game, as we predicted on this pod, and most everyone did, so we can't really pat ourselves on the back too much. Browns and Jets, how about that? Yeah, um, it, it means reporting to camp at least a few days, maybe up to a week earlier. Um, the Browns are going to cut short their offseason program by a week. You know, usually it goes to maybe June 15th, so it's going to stop a week earlier because of the um, extra week of training camp. Um, you know, the game's not going to be great, right? We know it's preseason. It's early. I'd be stunned if anybody yeah. that was anybody played. But it's part of the Joe Thomas celebration. It's going to be fun. I'm yes. looking forward to be down there for the whole weekend. Um, you know, I might have to get a Airbnb down there. There you go. And uh, a reaction to that question, I'm adding one in here. Uh, he let everyone know who's going to present yeah. him, his wife and kids. Yeah, I didn't get to be there Monday when he was in Canton. It was the first time he kind of toured the hall since, um, you know, since he was selected. Um, but, yeah, and I actually want to write a little something about that. Yeah, he's going to pick Annie and his kids, and they don't have to actually get up and give a speech so they can tape, like, a video, which gives them flexibility to, you know, mess stuff up and you can edit it, and you don't have the nerves of standing in front of all these people and giving a speech. So, yeah, that's uh, right. Know, he, he felt that was great. And like he said, he had so many different coaches and quarterbacks and teammates that yep. it, it was just hard to have, say there's one person that had such an impact as his family, 
Um, his second choice, though, would have been Alex Mack, the former center. Yeah. Well, you know who thinks it's a great idea? Annie, your wife? Oh, well, yeah, my wife. <laughs> your wife, yeah. Yeah, my wife. Yeah, she said, well, duh. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Why not? I mean, of course it should and it fits your wife and kids. It, it really does so. fit Joe's personality. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Three more things left. The Haslam's getting into the yeah. NBA with the Milwaukee Bucks, uh, getting a share of uh, uh, of that. What do you think? Yeah. Interesting. Um, obviously, they're this is the path they want to take. They want to be. They want to expand that professional sports ownership portfolio. They got the crew. I don't. I wouldn't be surprised if it expanded beyond. The Bucks, right? Is it, you know, is it soccer overseas? Is it the NHL? Um, they really enjoy that. I think they they think it's a or they believe it's a really strong investment. Um, it'll be weird though if the Bucks play the Cavs in the playoffs, right? At some yeah. point, that gets a little awkward. Oh, and you know, fans will be annoyed oh, when they're God. cheering for the Bucks over the Cavs for sure. Right. Uh, season tickets on the rise. Yeah, you know, our columnist Jim Ingram wrote. An interesting column about that you can find on brownzone.com. Just about you know the loyalty of the fans, and yet they lose. The team keeps losing, and the prices go up. Um, I, you know, I, I I know that's the reality of the situation. I'm not stunned by it. The fact that the Browns have eight thousand season ticket people on a wait list and they've put down deposits, I guess, shows that um, the demand is obviously there. So yeah, you, you know, you, you always have this choice. You always have the choice to not buy him. Yeah. So, uh, last thing, the the talk about the uh, I don't even know if we have time to get into this in thirty seconds, but <laughs> just the the new stadium talk. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to hold I mean, on that one? Yeah, I mean, just real quick, it, the Browns will tell you that you know some of the stuff, and in, in there's Peter John Baptiste, the VP of Communications, was quoting the article saying um, a lot of that stuff was not true. Um, they have time before the lease runs out. The Browns' default right now is um, renovation. They believe they can renovate the stadium where it stands, um, but there needs to be a cooperation with the city just how they're going to develop that lakefront property. And that's been a big driving. The Haslam's have been big in, hey, we need to develop this. There needs to be those land bridges, you know, to walk over across the highways to the stadium. So I think there's a lot of, a lot of layers to this, and a lot of things still left to be decided. Woo! I gotta tell you, that was beefy. That was uh, <laughs> that was an off season off season segment. Can we take the next month off or no? No, it's free agency <laughs> next week, John. Ah, so that's want to right. Talk about who they sign <laughs> or don't sign. No, we will. We'll, we'll bounce back next week for free agency. Good point. Perfect. But that was that was some good stuff, man. Uh, glad you got to get out to the combine there and. Uh, Sorry that your uh, off season isn't uh, <laughs> as plentiful now with the Hall of Fame game and yeah, right. uh, the season going later. <laughs> yeah, I'll adjust, but yeah, it's gonna, I be, know. it's gonna be a long, long training camp. So, but you always do. Yeah, mm, thanks. Well, Chad, I appreciate you taking the time, bud, and we'll do this again next yeah. week. Huh? I think we'll have. Um, I think we'll. I, my guess would be, by the time we do this next week, there'll be at least two players of excitement and of note to talk about the bronze adding and perhaps more than that. So um, yep. we'll get this thing off and running, I think, next week. So Yeah, and another week for uh, fans to listen to the radio and, and ask the question, Rust or Worry? <laughs> yeah. Sean Watson. <laughs> well, yeah, we probably we had about six months 
of that, right? They don't take the field again until September. So, yep. All right. Well, thank you, Chud. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been another episode of the Zone Coverage Podcast, and you can read all my work at brownzone.com. Thanks a lot.